And welcome to the clergy next door. I'm Rabbi Evan Ravsky of Synagogue Emmanuel in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm Pastor Eric Childers from St. Matthew's Lutheran Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, eventually, they're going to know that we're actually from South Carolina, <laughs> I think. you know. Well, well we want to remind them. You know, that's we, the best part of this. Charleston, there are worse places to be than Charleston, right? <laughs> And uh, today we are we are together to uh, to discuss and talk a little bit about um, youth and what that means in our congregations um, in in so many different ways. This is a topic that we think a lot about at our church. Um, it's one that I may even say I obsess over because um, as being a clergy, you know, people know that we're clergy and we do clergy things like uh, care for people, lead worship, etc. But the other part we do is we lead an organization. We're kind of a head of staff. We are uh, the business part. It's a, it's a business yeah. part. I mean, yeah, we're CEOs. And um, to lead an organization that is um, in which the market share seems to be uh, less than it has been in, in years past. Uh, we have to determine, you know, what, what, what does tomorrow look like while also, while also ministering to them today? Because, you know, we often say, well, the children are future. Yes, but they are our present too. They are here now and we have to be present for them now. So this is a great topic, Rabbi. I'm glad we're talking about it, this. It is. And, and you know, in, in looking at it as a business, and, and you know, I hope we don't uh, upset any of our congregants, uh, you know, in, in talking about it like this, but but it is a little bit how we how we both look at at what we do. Um, because we know that that engagement, right, the, the way that we keep our congregants is is by engaging them in the different uh, ways of of our congregations, right? Whether it's work um, that we do outside of the church and the synagogue, or whether it's the the inspiring services that we offer on uh, Saturday and and Sundays, I think the interesting thing about youth is, like you said, we're ministering to them because they are the future, right? They are our future congregants, God God willing. But in part, it it's really complicated because you have to engage multiple generations at once, right? You have to engage the the parent generation as well as the the youth generation, the kid generation, because ultimately the parents are going to be bringing the kids. And if the parents aren't engaged, they're not bringing the kids. But if you don't engage the kids, when they are parents, they won't bring their kids or they themselves won't, won't come. So it's a, it's a complicated uh, topic. And let me add one more thing to that, Rabbi, because I agree exactly with what you said. But then the other complication is that other generation, the grandparents, because some of the things that we have to do to communicate and minister to and, uh, for lack of a better word, program for, for young people may be antithetical to what the grandparents um, deem as appropriate. Or it's certainly not maybe what we've done in the past. So, so many of our challenges also are generational. We are speaking from cradle to grave folks here. We're talking, we have a, a, a large community that we don't always have to, 
So we know we're not going to satisfy everybody, but we at least have to consider everybody. And that makes this even more difficult, right? It, it does because you turn one off and, and you end up turning all three of them off in, in some way or, or other, right? Yes. And that if you're, if you're not engaging, uh, you know, the youngest generation will, will hear about it from, uh, from the congregation. We'll feel it in our own souls, right? Like we, we want to be able to engage all three generations. Um, and it's, it's difficult. It's, it's complicated. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that, that we certainly strive to do. I, again, at Senegal Manuel, but but I think across clergy, across religions, uh, we we want to engage because we want there to be a future. Um, you know, we both happen to be in religions that uh, have a few thousand years of success behind them. Um, you know, in in doing that, uh, we just don't want to be the the last generation or the second to last generation. And so it's sort of you know how do we uh, how do we approach and engage. Uh, the next generation so that they find meaning. And the meaning, like you said, I, I think you're 100% correct. The meaning they might find in our religious traditions and rituals might be, perhaps should be, different than the connections that that we have because they're going to live at a at a different time with different things happening in the world with, uh, you know, different circumstances. And, and we have to be able to give them the tools to uh, connect to the religion 20 30 years down the line in 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 church and religion and um our faiths are changing so quickly that how we communicate and not just communicate with a new generation but engage and offer our <coughs> our faith tradition to this new um generation changes as well with um with the pandemic we have seen that um we've opened up this new frontier of digital ministry it's online ministry and what does that mean and we're still at the very very beginning of that what does that mean um and we I, we don't quite know the answer to that but but we suspect that that's going to play a role in reaching uh folks who previously had not been engaged in church or those young people who are who are seeking um new ways to become engaged but but you know one thing that doesn't change with both of our communities both of our communities are based in community. Both of our faith traditions are, um, it, it's not an individual activity. This is, uh, this, our work happens within a community. Yesterday we had a, uh, we celebrated the 183rd birthday of, uh, of St. Matthew's. And we Mazel had a, covered dish. thank you. Thank you. We had a, a, a covered dish lunch and um, it was a community. It was a community event where everybody just sat down and we had uh, shared a meal together. Now, what does that mean for digital worshipers? We have uh, many more people who worship via the, um, online than who, who are there in person. What does that mean, particularly for youth? If any of those folks are um, quote youth people, so so what, Rabbi? What do you all? What what does the synagogue do? to minister to to attract this young population yeah so i so first right i i agree that the digital uh the digital congregation is is a challenge um you know we talked about this when we talked about what a minion is for for jews it's even mm. more so for us um because we need to be 10 people in a physical space together for for prayers um 
and uh, and we don't use electricity in the same way on Shabbat on on the Sabbath, so we can't have Zoom going. We have a, a passive live stream, but we can't do that that interactive uh, Zoom uh, services or or anything like that on on on. Um, which makes it even more complicated, right? So we tend to rely on for for adult ed, um, but I I don't love it, right? I I. I I like to engage with people and it's really hard yes. to do that over, over zoom when only one person can talk at a time and it's hard to interrupt people on zoom unless you just mute <laughs> them, which is sort of a blessing, but um, nonetheless. Um, so what we talk about when we're talking about youth here, let's, let's just clarify because we're not talking necessarily just about, about children, but we're really talking about that, that next generation of yeah. synagogue and church membership. Right, we're talking about the the young families. We're talking about the teenagers. We are talking about kids, and we'll we'll do a, a episode later on about youth education, religious schools, stuff like that. Um, but now, just when, when we say youth, um, we are really talking. Perhaps it's a, a misnomer here, right? It's really talking about the the younger generations in the congregation, the ones that we're always striving to engage. Um, <laughs> very good so point. That, very good point, that, Rabbi. For, for us, we we say birth through thirty years old. That's kind of how we're saying youth at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that you are not a youth if you're thirty-one. Um, we are trying to, in some cases, we we incorporate thirty-one to fifty in different ways. But but that's for yes, good for defining the terms. I think. Right. Our our young families, like our we you know our, our membership rates, if we if we talk about that, right? Like we go up to thirty-five. As long as as one of the adults in the house is, is under thirty-five, we that for us is the the young families slash youth demographic um that, that we go up. So we're a little bit older than you, but um, you know, that's okay. <laughs> well, um, so yeah, and it's you know, we had talked that's how um I think demographics in the country are sort of defined as well from uh, uh, 21 to 34. And we had done that as well. So again, it's blurry. We try to make it a little blurry because we don't want it to be so rigid that people, we just want to be welcoming and we want people to be part of it. So yes. Right. Are you seeing, uh, are you, have you seen a shift in the demographics of where people are, are joining your shul that, I mean, cause you said 30 and then it's, it's blurry. So are you starting to see that, that sort of, um, shift in in demographics you mean when when they join or when they become engaged at the church or does it doesn't matter uh yes yeah okay <laughs> so um it's really interesting so in in this is going to sound a little uh um uh, counterintuitive given that we've talked about there's some challenges with religion both both of our faith traditions and but since 2017 so when i arrived in 2016 and we have we we call them welcome sunday and when we receive new parishioners, <clears throat> new congregants, do it in uh, February and August. In every single cycle, <clears throat> that's pandemic included, we have received new folks. Sometimes only a few, maybe five, sometimes more than 20, maybe 25. Um, every single time, which I think is pretty amazing. Now, are all of those people engaged? And do we see them again? No. And that's so that's one of the things we've got to really work on is how when we are working on that, how do we engage those folks who, who come? Um, but in terms of the folks who come, 
it's really a little bit of everything. Some are young families seeking baptism. Some are um, older folks who are maybe have moved into town. So it really, I, there's not really a, a, a pattern that I've, I've noticed, except for the pattern is it's a little bit of everybody. Well, so yeah, so for us, similar when when people join, you know, I mean, especially being in Charleston, which is a retirement community, we're always we always have not Charleston is not a retirement community, but people yeah, yeah. retire down here, um, <laughs> and so we always have that that stream of of people moving uh, moving here for for retirement. Um, the the uh, when when we see people joining that are in Charleston, right, that have, have always been here, um, particularly pertaining, pertaining to the youth, is actually when their children start to need uh, religious school instruction. Uh, so for for us um, at Synagogue Emmanuel, we have a, uh, a rule, right, uh, that, that a child needs to be in formal Jewish education by fourth grade. Um, to start that process of becoming a bar and bat mitzvah. Obviously, when we did our life cycles, we said that happens at really age 13, but we want the kids to have years of religious education leading up to it. So we ask that that um, families join in fourth grade, the synagogue, or at least the religious school, so that the child is prepared for their B'nai mitzvah, um, you know, a few years later when they, when they turn 13. So we tend to see that, being when the young family quote quote unquote joins a synagogue is when their oldest child is is four um you know i was i was telling you a little bit earlier when when you interview for a new position as a as a rabbi right it's it's really like a job interview you you go to the congregation if they like you you spend a weekend there learning inevitably one of the questions that they always ask is how do you engage young uh, families in their in their 20s. Um, when I was interviewing, I loved that question, right? Because it, it was, to me, the answer was was sort of obvious, right? And and again, maybe a little counterintuitive or maybe not what people want to hear, right? But I always followed up with how do you engage the young families in their 20s with the answer of, well, you know, everyone loves to say now that, that, four, that 60 is the new 40. Right, that we're that we have this generational shift where where our youth and our and our vigor is lasting much longer. But if we're going to say that you're you know sixty is the new forty, then you have to say that you know thirty five forty is the new twenties. Um, and I think that's true. The the generational shift that we've seen is that, like across America, is that people are having children getting married and having children much later in their in their lives and so when we're seeing families join or what we call young families tend to be a little bit older than than what we thought yes it's wonderful we do have a a group of of uh youth who are who are joining right we do have have kids in their kids i say kids right in their in their early 30s without children um who, who are joining and and we love those that's great when we have it um but i also think that's sort of like the the outlier those are people who are really dedicated and there for themselves as opposed to people who are there um looking for their kids to be educated religiously 
That sounds so familiar, Rabbi. There, there's that's the a very similar adage here is that oh well, the the young families will come back when their children need Sunday school, when they need parish education, and in some cases that works, that plays out. But what I've found, certainly St. Matthews, is that doesn't really happen. There's just there, and I don't think it's necessarily just at St. Matthews. I think it's just the time. I've been at St. Matthews for seven and a half years now, and I think that over that time, in that very short period of time, it's it um, new patterns have developed even in that short time. So I I don't think people are coming, even in the previous parish I served, people that those families didn't come back. Um, what the one thing that I have noticed is they they come back for that ritual. They really want the ritual of baptism they don't care about what happens after baptism but they want that that baptismal ritual and they want the wedding ritual those two things are still very important but um and funerals look too far off when when you say when you say they want that wedding ritual you're talking about the people getting married or you're talking about the parents of the people getting married both i think it depends i think every in many cases that's a great point i think for baptism, it's often the grandparents who are, who are, or, or parents of the, yeah, the grandparents of the baby are saying, um, you need to get that baby baptized. I mean, I, I don't think the, it, the parents necessarily, it's on their radar so much, but it's, um, but that is an opportunity to bring people into, <coughs> into this community. So we use that moment as a time of instruction of the time of bringing these young families, not just to listen to me talk about, about this. They don't, that's not the most important part. Yes. Part of my, my job, my task is to teach them what is happening in baptism and in this community, but more compelling is over these four sessions that we do um, have these families hear from other parishioners and about, and sort of quote testimonials about what life in, in this faith community means to them and how it can be a gift and life-giving. And uh, that's been, and, and we, we've begun that and that has been much more intentional about that. And we have found some success. We have found some families who have stuck around. Now, whether they continue, I don't know. That's, that's, that jury is still out. But in a sense, I will have done my job for the instruction and this congregate our congregation does this job by providing that ministry. And I think it's really good ministry too. Now, whether they come or not, it's going to be up to them. But um, we actually, one of the things that we have, well, we've done many strategies and we've placed a lot of resources and not just financial resources. We have a staff person. Daniel is our, um, our youth and family ministry uh, Who's great, person. by the way. I, I, I get to spend a lot of time with him, actually. I know that sounds weird, but, but whenever he's at your house and he tends to come over to our house also to, to say hello, or we come over to your house yes. and, and get to hang out, Daniel's great. Daniel, and Daniel has this uh, charisma that um, that our um, middle and high schoolers to, to respond to. Um, so he, we have a staff person, but even more important than that is we have uh, par- parishioners, congregants who are who have really said, you know what, we've got to do something about this, um, the this missing generation, essentially. And so we put a lot of of um, uh, work into providing ministry for not just um, 
children, but the family, the parents, because if the parents don't come, then the children, uh, five-year-olds can't drive and, <laughs> and they're not going to walk. They shouldn't drive. They shouldn't yeah, drive. You know, drive. Right. They shouldn't drive. So we are, um, you know, we, we are trying to make this holistic and look at the parents and the children as well. Um, we have also tried to do extracurricular things that are more related to Koinonia, which is a sacred fellowship, the fun things. Um, we, well, we tried this, and again, this shows the kind of the, the challenge we have. We would we called it Bible, beer, and bonfire. So it was, it was exactly what it sounds like. We would gather at someone's house. We hosted it here at our house. Um, we had a bonfire, and we, we have, actually have a church kegerator, and we had beer. It was just beer, complimentary beer that we would give folks. And even that wasn't quite enough to get I was people. Say, I'll sponsor that. Like, you know, forget yeah. forget your congregants. I, yeah. I will sponsor uh I, I will sponsor Bible beer and uh bonfire. bonfire. You know, yeah. I, we can it's maybe yeah. perhaps that is wait, wait, wait. Okay, here, here. This is this yeah. is you know the conversation. What if we do two bonfires, one at your house, one at my house, and people can go yes. back and forth. They can learn. About, I love you know, it. The, the Hebrew Bible at one fire and the New Testament at the other. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like this is a, a, a program coming on as long as I think it's good. You know, but beer, we, we jest, can throw in some bourbon, too. Exactly. But, you know, we just but it's that sort of innovative thinking we've got to have to do. It's we have to realize that there are um, the appetite for what we're the product we're selling let's go back to our ceo hats the product we're selling now this faith which has been around for a long time um in this moment for about 55 about 60 years i i, I point back to about the mid 60s when this really started to happen for various reasons um we have um we've seen the decline in the demand for what we are offering and um, I still believe our world and humanity seeks what we, what our, our traditions are offering. And um, that's a whole other podcast, but um, um, I, I still believe in what we are offering and what, what we, what our mission and task, um, what, what they are uh, for our, our people and, and the people here in this world, God's children. But but I think it's so interesting what you're saying about about the decline because I we're we're seeing that across religion, right? We know we're we're seeing that across religion. Um, I told you about this this book that I was was reading, the Great Dechurching, um, yes. about about the decline in uh, in church membership and and attendance, um, and you know trying to apply it to to what's going on in in Judaism as well. Um, but it, it's it's interesting what you're saying about about you know, declining membership and, and engagement and participation. But then when we do get to those um, major life cycle or ritual moments, people always come back or, or tend to come back, right? Whether it's it's something that's that's birth or or wedding or or death, and they come and they seek solace at um, at synagogue or or at church and in those those religious rituals. I think one of the most challenging things um that we see pertaining to those again to the the youth and the young families um tends to be around the the b'nai mitzvah uh time right when uh, when the child is coming to lead services to read from the torah to spend a lot of time in synagogue 
And uh, it tends to be, uh, other than the high holidays, it tends to be this the, the first time that the family has has spent a significant amount of time in um, in in synagogue. And one of the things that we always tell them, and and uh, my my religious school principal Daphna, um, and I always tell people when when we're planning for them, is don't feel like a stranger in synagogue. Right, come. You know, it doesn't have to be every week, but but come to synagogue, come one Saturday a month, two Saturday a month, come to other programs so that when you are in the building at your child's B'nai Mitzvah, you don't feel like a, a stranger. And and in part, in, in parents wanting to pass these traditions and these rituals on to the kids, it seems to be... Uh, incongruous right is that they want to pass on the traditions but they also don't want to engage and and how do you do that right how do you do that if you don't want to engage how can you pass on those traditions and and rituals you've just touched on another thing that really really concerns me i don't know if a lot of folks think about this i look around our congregation now, on sunday mornings when we are worshiping and i look at some of the rituals that we do that are so just strange for folks who are not part of this community. We kneel. What else in the world in your life do you kneel? Seriously. We, we when are you're being we, knighted. When you're being knighted. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we gather. Or when you propose. Wait, I can, I can do this. Wait, when you're being knighted <laughs> right. and when you propose. Although my wife is going to, I know she's listening and she's saying, you did not get down on one knee when you proposed. <laughs> I know she's yelling at me. through, through But collectively, as a group, so this all we are in our nice clothes. We kneel and we say that we are flawed and that we are um, we need a God. God save us. Lord have mercy is what we say literally. And then we we our tradition is and we're we're certainly not as old as you all. Your tradition is, but we have. Um, this ritual meal that we have there where we have communion and then we talk about baptism and then we pray for people and so my point is if you are not in church or if you had been in church when you were a child and then kind of wandered away from church there's a point where as you said you feel uncomfortable in your own home in your own church but not necessarily because people have made you feel that way, but because you don't know what to do. You've forgotten these rituals. And for new folks who come, what, you know, what, what do we, how do we make them feel comfortable? You know, one of the questions that, that many of our folks ask, are, what's the growth of these mega churches? You know, what's happening? I think there are several reasons, but one of them might be that it's, it's so sort of, um, informal i'll just use that word it's so informal that it allows folks who don't who've never been there to just show up and just sort of be part of it you know what i mean I, so you there's know no chanting yes. there's, there's none of there's no chant you, you there's none of this um i put not only the pejoratively baggage that our traditions carry that we've had for all these years baggage of ritual baggage like um uh, all of our th things that are very important to us, but are probably not going to be very important to folks who are just kind of young people who are just peeking in. 
Yes. And I would I would also say, look, I haven't been to any of those mega churches. Um, uh, they they intrigue me. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the righteous gemstones on, on HBO, especially because because <laughs> they record around our neighborhood. Right. When yes. they're when they're when they're filming. Uh, right. They, they filmed the scene uh, at the uh, at the Elks Lodge right outside our synagogue. Yes. They film over in the public's parking lot. So, like, you know, I watch it to see, like, you know, if I can find myself in the background. <laughs> but in real life, these, these mega churches, you know, I, I wonder if it's not also that you can walk into them for the first time as a someone not connected to their to their community. And I don't know, do they have the same um, the, the same rituals and traditions, not religious, but communal yeah. that smaller yeah. places like our like our own have? where it's it's unique to us to me there's probably less um individual culture around those around those mega churches than there would be at something like saint matthews or or emmanuel whereas it might be christian and you can walk in without any any uh preconceived notion um but there but if you're looking for that individualized attention i imagine it's got to be less at those at those mega churches I think you're right, but then I think the other thing that when I've studied some of these, uh, the success of some of these churches, and then I think I think up to that point is correct. But then I think what they do, the successes, they the the large churches because they're large communities, then break up this large group into small groups, and it's the small groups that may be made of young people, but it could be just as well older people. Um, that's where then the the community is knit together in those small groups. So, which we do, I think we do that. It's just, we've got this, if you've ever been into St. Matthew's, I can only imagine how intimidating it must be for somebody, a visitor who's walking in. It's a this massive um, um, edifice to the past in a sense. You know, I, although we're doing things, ministry that look forward and, and our, our, um, and I, I think help many people in our congregation and beyond. We still have this this uh, formal uniform, which is our church, our nave that we have to sort of fit into. And that's right. tough. And that, and that can that that is tough, and it and it can be intimidating. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it matters what the what the building looks like because you know, obviously the. The church and, and the synagogue look look very different from each other, but I think people are still hesitant to walk into it if yes. they hadn't been there, haven't been there in in a while, right? There's yes. that that religious guilt of you know it's it's been you know 642 days since my last confession. Not that we have yes. confession, but um, right, but that they they know how many weeks it's been since they were there for for Shabbat or or something like that. Um, and they shouldn't be right. Like no one's taking attendance. Um, you know, I, I hate to compare what it's what it's like, but I often see it as like a um, like membership as as sort of like uh, a gym membership, right? When yeah. I don't know if people still go, but like right, is that you, you remember? Use us, right? Come, don't don't just pay membership, but but come and use us. And if and if you haven't been in a while, right? If you're one of these young families that we're uh, that we're supposed to be talking about, right? If you're if you're someone who hasn't been to synagogue in a while since your your own bat mitzvah, right? Since you were 13 and and or or since your youth group days, um, 
and you want to get back in, like, let us know, let us know. And we will spend the time, whether it's on a Shabbat morning or a, or a Sunday morning or sometime a weekday evening of, of learning the, the rituals and the traditions. Now for us, it's in Hebrew. So I can't necessarily teach a, a full course in Hebrew. I'm not a language teacher, right? But we, we have other tools, whether it's transliterated prayer books or, or um, you know, just coming often to be able to hear the prayers and it'll jog it in your memory. Um, it'll pull you back to the days of, of a child, like riding a bike. Um, you know, I, I wish you could tell people to use those, those muscles. And, uh, and if you, do it right if if you do it then uh, your kids will do it um i i don't know how to how to convey the that that sense or that that idea to my parishioners more than than repeatedly telling them uh over i said parishioners i meant congregants been hanging out with you too long um (laughs) uh, the uh Right, but conveying that over and over, yeah. which is that that it is a multi generational experience. So suddenly we have added another uh, job description uh, or a task to our job description. We also have to be marketers too. We have to be expert marketers that compete with so many distractions out there in the world. Oh, so soccer um, and baseball and absolutely you know, everything, and, everything. Right. And you know what? Spoiler alert, church often loses at this. You know, I've found it's just often the case. I, I remember. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, so when I, when I was in rabbinical school, um, I was, uh, I was a rabbinic intern at a synagogue in Westport, Connecticut. And uh, I when I would when I would be there, we would often go to um to an interfaith council meeting, um and I and I remember my my first experience there. I was sitting next to a to a Catholic priest, and uh, you know two things happened that I that I you know just like made me smile and laugh and say like I'm really gonna enjoy this. Was I was sitting next to this Catholic priest and and I and I sneezed. And he looks and he goes, bless you, my child. And I said, thank you. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, okay, cool. That was, that was, that was great, I guess, in an interfaith way, right? Um, I was clearly much younger than him, but it was just, you know, I was like chuckling. I was like, I was just blessed by a Catholic priest. Great. Um, but then the other was, was we were talking uh, about this topic and it wasn't just the, the, the Jewish community saying like, how do you compete with soccer? right on on a sunday morning the the churches were all saying how do we compete with with baseball and basketball and and these same exact things across it didn't matter denomination or religion everyone was saying like why is soccer and baseball a a value and not synagogue and and church right what is it that that people say that is the you know that's where we're going to spend our time on on Saturday or Sunday morning, and not say that this is just as much of a value, um, you know. And uh, in uh, in all honesty, most of our children will not be professional baseball or basketball uh, uh, stars, um, you know. And and but all of them are going to be Christian or Jewish for the rest of their lives. Why not invest in in our children in that way now and say this is the value that we're going to make an hour for two hours for a week and, uh, and make sure, or even a month, right? Again, even a month and say like, we're going to, to emphasize this because it's important. 
I, I that's so well said. And that's that is you're definitely that is cross gen, cross religious lines for sure. I did my internship not too far from you. I was in Stanford, Connecticut, just down uh, in I I ninety five uh, from Westport, and um, I this was almost twenty years ago. And I remember I was having the same sort of uh, issues with with parents being forced to choose between church and other things. And I kept thinking to myself, well, when I get back home to the south, it won't be like this. Well, it is like this. It's everywhere. It's not, you know, that used to be, thank God for the Baptists. The Baptists would protect Wednesday nights. That was when they would have their meetings. And that meant sort of that, that, that was the night you could sort of plan things. But now that's not even the case. It's, there's no protected time. I remember uh, at the other church I served, there was, um, it was Easter, the holiest day of our, uh, of our church year. And um, we were putting together the, the service and one of the acolytes, she was a young cheerleader and she couldn't, the family was going to have to miss because there was a cheerleading competition um, on Easter morning. So, and again, of course, uh, cheerleading won. <laughs> cheerleading beat Jesus. So, um, you know, <laughs> so part of this is it's, it's difficult to, <clears throat> because we place parents into these, these, uh, kind of impossible situations but and I also you know there are times when uh, I, I've heard this more than once when the we have an event and the, the the kid or the parent will say well Pastor Eric I, I have to miss your thing for my coach because my coach will be very mad <laughs> I'm like yeah okay all right <laughs> Uh, so I thought you're going to, I thought you're going to say, so, so one of the, you know, one of those things that, that we hear is, um, is when we try to do a, a program, uh, right then. And, and I admit, and, and I recognize, right. There's no good time to do a program for young families, yeah. right. Or for youth, right. Is yeah. that if you do it at, at four o'clock, then parents aren't home from work to yes. bring their children. If you yes. do it at five, five thirty, um, it's, it's dinner time. Um, yes. If you do it at seven o'clock, it's bedtime. Um, I yes. get it because that's, and I'm using the times for my own children's routine here, right? So yes. I'm, I'm disqualifying myself as as well. Um, and so we get it. And so that does make it hard. I, I do get that it's not, because I don't want people to think that we're just, uh, you know, saying, you know, it's everyone else's fault. There is no time. It's really hard to be a parent. It Life is. is really busy. Schedules are really important. Making sure kids get fed and and uh, yes. and to bed on time for for school the next day. And uh, and and our lives are busy. Um, so it, it and the weekends the time we get to sleep late. And the weekend is the time we get to sleep late. We just we need to, to not come. So yeah, I. I Absolutely, Rabbi. I, I get you. Yeah, it's. I mean, I have to be up and at synagogue on Saturday, so I don't get that excuse. But, um, but, but right. I'm with other parents, I'm saying other parents. The They'll parents, say, well, yes, yes. We we worked all. We've done all of this. This is Saturday and Sunday is our only time to you know. That's when it, we make it, pancakes. It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. And 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 so it it is finding that balance, and so it's sort of. You know, we come back to to what do we do for um, for these young families to to make it easier? And, you know, I, I think that that one of the, the important things is exactly that is recognizing of of how busy and hard those lives are and, and trying to um, lower the bar, so to speak. Right. Like, what does it mean 
to to be able to do it right that that come to synagogue or church with your stroller right if you're not you know in suit and tie because it was too much to get your kids and yourself out the door and all be dressed up i don't know about st matthews i'm okay if my if they don't come absolutely as as long as they're they're there on on saturday morning absolutely or, or find uh another time to to engage um and if none of the times that we schedule or program then email us right email us call us and say i can do something at you know tuesday at uh you know 1 p.m and we'll create something to to help engage because it's got it's it's got to be a two-way conversation right yes. of, of we can help them we can help you if you let us know how we can help you um you know and and we want to because again it the way that that when when you engage one generation you're going to engage multiple generations and that's a beautiful wonderful thing for for the community but also for the for the family right i i to to sit together in church or to sit together in synagogue um on our most sacred times whether it's easter and christmas or rosh hashanah and and yom kippur i mean those are some of like the memories of my youth of my childhood um that that are the most powerful um, now as as an adult and it still matters i think these still matter that's that's the part i hang on to all of this still matters so that's why i'm uh you know i'm gonna keep going and very much it, it it matters it matters and, and <clears throat> you know and like we said the best way um to make sure these rituals continue and traditions continue now is to is to engage with them right that if you, if we engage with them now in this generation the next generation will also value them um in in the same way all well, right thank Rabbi, you but, what i was what are we talking about next week what is it uh yeah next week uh we are talking about our winter holidays it will be uh, hanukkah we're we're headed towards christmas um, and so we're going to take a look at uh, at our winter holidays, um, and uh, it should be a it should be a fun one and a, a joyous one. It should be absolutely. We're in Advent right now, and Advent is my favorite liturgical season, church season of the year. So we're talking about what Advent means, and I and I have a question. I want to ask you about my menorah. I want to hear what you have to say about that. I I have a I want to tell you what I'm thinking. You tell me uh, your honest response to that. So, yeah, we we will incorporate that into the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just uh, a quick note to our listeners, um, whether it's about today's episode or other episodes or things you want to uh, to hear about questions you may have. Please, please feel free to email us at theclergynextdoor at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, and to help us inspire uh, future conversations as well. Uh, but for now, we sign off by saying, Tov shachen karov me'ach rachok. A neighbor nearby is better than a friend far away. See you around the neighborhood. See you around the neighborhood. <laughs>